What up, world? It's your past first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is another edition of Mailbag Monday, a weekly installment in which we answer listener submitted questions all episode long. If you want to get involved in Mailbag Monday, there's two ways to do it. One, just tweet at me at Mike G. Rich on Twitter. You can just send me a question whenever you're thinking of it, or you can watch the skies on Monday morning when I send out a tweet soliciting questions. You respond to that tweet, I'll get you in the show. If you are not a Twitter user or just someone who doesn't tweet, there's another way to get involved too. You can just email me, lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com is the email address. One more time, that's lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com. Shoot me an email, I'll get you in the show. Simple as that. Like I said, we do this each week, season or not. We're answering listeners' submitted questions. I usually record the show on Monday. It occasionally posts Tuesday evening, at least in the United States. The international dateline confuses me, so if you are listening to this in another hemisphere, it could be another day. But it's still a mailbag episode. And with that preamble aside, let's get into it. This first question comes from Joel Perkins at underscore Joel Perkins on Twitter, the rare leading underscore in a Twitter handle. And Joel asks, I just want to know if we're looking at a big slash medium roster shakeup or if they're going to try to run it back with most of the same pieces. I've talked about this a handful of times on the show, but I think it's worth repeating because it's sort of the big question heading into the offseason. Are they going to do anything? My gut is no. And now I'm wrong about stuff all the time. I thought they were going to bring back Al Farouk Aminu. I kind of misread the signals on that one. That was that one was on me. I should have I misread Neil's signals. But but in this case, uh, Neil has said publicly that he's they're going to be patient and they plan to start the season with Dame, CJ, Rodney Hood, Zach, and Nurk in the lineup. That, to me, doesn't sound like a dude planning to make a big trade, mostly because if all of his good players are still there, he didn't trade any of them to vastly upgrade the roster. I don't think we're seeing a big shakeup. I think the Blazers earnestly believe that if they were healthy this year, they would have been right in the mix, and they think they can get healthy next year and be right in the mix. Um I probably don't agree with that assessment. I mean, I think they'll be competitive if they're healthy, but I, you know, if you're if you're trying to win a championship, I'm not sure the Blazers have the parts to do that. But my read is that they're not going. No big shakeup is on the horizon. Next question comes from Dark Beers Only at Dark Beers Rule on Twitter, who asks: There's always excuses why the Blazers didn't step out of the playoffs, like injuries, but they never seem to make a big leap to serious contenders. What will it take? Seems CJ is the only trade chip or a sign and trade with us on Whiteside. Can't always blame injuries. Yeah, I think it's um, I think it's natural for sort of um, players and coaches to do that in the moment. They, they, you know, what if, what if, what if? It's just sort of a natural thing. It's a natural thing for fans to kind of do that. Um, I think if you're being realistic and if you're listening to people like me um, who are, try to keep it as realistic or within the well, realm of realistic as possible, this this season wasn't about injuries. This was about a bad roster. Uh, the injuries certainly tanked any hope they had. I think they could have. If they were fully, fully healthy, they would have been pretty good. But the idea that this was a championship team, I think I've been pretty consistent since the start of the year that this was a team that could compete for home court advantage if they were healthy. And then they weren't healthy and they, you know, clawed their way to the eighth seed. Um, I don't think, like I said in this, the first answer, I don't think a big shakeup is coming. Um, I don't think they have a, gut, a bunch of good trade parts, but um, the excuse this year is not was not injuries. It was definitely a factor in where they finished, but the excuse was that the roster wasn't good enough. Rip Riles brings us our next question at Riles Rip on Twitter, who asks, do the Blazers need to look for a center with Nurk, the obvious starter and Collins 
playing power forward, who should the Blazers acquire as a backup, assuming Whiteside leaves in free agency? I do think Whiteside leaves. I've talked about this on the show a couple times, but just to reiterate, I do. I think it's most likely that he goes somewhere where he can have a bigger role, although I wouldn't totally rule it out that he leaves considering how strange the market for centers might be this, this offseason. That said, some sort of cheaper backups. I think they really obviously need one. I think that's that Rip Riles. I think you you assessed it. They're obviously going to need one. Some names I like. Nerland's Noel might be a little bit expensive for what they end up with or maybe just a bad use of their mid-level exception if they if they want to give them a bunch of money I wouldn't I wouldn't co-sign on that but potentially a cheap cheap option I like Nerlens Noel Billy Hernan Gomez of the uh Charlotte Hornets. I like I like Billy um, as a backup center. Um, I don't think he's a he's a game changing player, but I think he's a young guy who could get better with the Blazers and could and in a in a low minute role could be useful. And finally, the veteran University of North Carolina Chapel Hill alum. I'm not sure he graduated, but former University of uh, North Carolina at Chapel Hill student John Henson, just a dude who's helped everywhere he's been. Um, kind of a low key advanced stats star, and also a Tar Heel. Next question comes from Matthew at Reverend Romulus on Twitter, who asks, what is more damaging damaging to the success of the Blazers? Not having a second all-star on the team, I'm not counting being voted in, to it in the past, only players at a current all-star level, or having a roster that is nine deep with legit contributors. Well, I will I, I would say both of those things are limiting. During the regular season, I think it's having nine deep contributors because the Blazers didn't have nine good players on the team this year. I would say for the most part, they had seven or eight I mean, towards the end of the year when they were kind of getting things rolling, I guess, in early March, it was the starters, Dame, CJ, Ariza, Mello, Hassan Whiteside. And then off the bench, it was just Gary Trent Jr. So there was a, there was a brief period of time when they had six dudes who could help. I think that's pretty limiting. So I do think depth in the regular season is a really big deal. The best regular season teams are the guys who have, you know, 10 and 11 contributors and have maybe too many players that can play on any given night. But when you get to the playoffs, it's about stars. And the Blazers' limitations, I think, at least for my money, is that maybe their two stars overlap too much. So it's easy to take them out in similar ways. They don't kind of balance each other or make you pay for if you do this thing, we'll, we'll do that thing. And also just because they don't have that clear, like Damian Lillard is an elite level player and CJ McCollum has had some really nice moments in the playoffs, but they haven't had a third star capable of that level who's been consistently healthy and they just haven't had guys step up in that role. You are as good as your stars in the playoffs and the Blazers stars haven't been that good. So I think it's both. And the regular season is depth and when you get to the playoffs, when you get to, say, the Western Conference Finals against the Golden State Warriors, it's your absolute studs. Like, who are your who are your who are your true best players? Uh, and if and if you don't have true stars, you're likely to come up short in the highest levels. It's it's a it's a league that really you just have to be good. You can't fake it. You just have to be stars are going to win in the league. Talent is going to win out. Definitely matchups and all that stuff helps, but the the team that wins the title is usually the team with the most talent. Okay, next question comes from Lewis from Gmail who says, Do you think the Rockets' equally unceremonious five-game exit to the Lakers in any way vindicates the Blazers as a good team that simply got beaten handily by a much better one? Houston was considered far stronger than Portland and expended far less energy in the seeding games having arrived in Orlando with their playoff spot clinched and their position essentially secured. I feel like the Blazers, even without Zach Collins available, would have given a team like the Thunder as tough a series as Houston did. Yeah, I've been on this. This is my... I've been harping this. The Blazers... 
put themselves in a bad spot by finishing eighth. I think they were a talented enough team to be in the mix, uh, like in that sort of middle mid-level of Western Conference playoff teams with the talent they had by the end of the year. And if they're in that mid-level, they're as good as those teams. They're, they're as good as the Thunder. They're probably in a playoff series because they match up well against the Rockets. They're as good as, as good as Houston. I think they're probably as talented as Denver, although Denver is looking really, really good right now in the bubble. They're as talented as, uh, as Dallas. That would have been a really, really close matchup in that series. Uh, I mean, pretty much every non-Laker team, and, and probably not the Clippers just because the Blazers don't have anyone to guard Kawhi Leonard, but pretty much every non, non-Los Angeles team in the Western Conference, the Blazers with their healthy comp- like complement of players that they had at the end of the year, they would have matched up with. So... Well, I don't know if the Houston loss vindicates the Blazers. I do think the second part of your question I totally agree with is that the Blazers, when healthy, even without Zach, but like some combination of, of, of health at, like they had towards the end of the bubble, assuming that Dame was available and didn't have a knee injury, they would have been right there. I mean, they're, they were one of, when healthy, they were probably, you know, somewhere between fourth and sixth, fourth and seventh in the West. Um, it's just when you finish eighth, you have to play the best team in the in the conference. And they they didn't do themselves any favors by having a crappy regular season. All right, next segment. Let's come back, answer more listener questions. But before we do that, I want to tell you all about rockauto.com. Y'all know rockauto.com. It's a family business that's been serving auto part customers online for over 20 years. You can go to rockauto.com right now to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They got everything. Engine control modules, brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet, you name it. And whether it's for your classic or your daily driver. You can get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the best brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. And oh, those prices. That's the best part. Because at rockauto.com, they're always reliably low, and they're the same for professionals as they are for the do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Don't do that. Instead, go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. And while you're there, make sure you write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so that they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. All right. Let's keep it rolling with Mailbag Monday. Nick from Gmail asks Any idea why Olshay drafted Caleb Swanigan over Kyle Kuzma? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. The answer is no. Uh, Kuzma, obviously, a way better basketball player. Like Kuzma, like a, a viable NBA player. Caleb Swanigan, probably not an NBA player. A dude who could probably have a long-term professional career playing in a league that's not the National Basketball Association, but I don't think he can play in this league. I think he's too slow and not skilled enough. Kyle Kuzma, despite his flaws, de- definitely an NBA player. Someone who's improved pretty steadily and was already better than Kyle uh, Caleb Swanigan right away from the jump. So I don't know. I don't know why Neil did that. It's, um, you know, Kuzma went one pick after Swanigan in that draft, the 2017 draft, that is. Um, my guess is that Swanigan really graded out incredibly high as a rebounder and playmaker in college and that his advanced stats were off the charts that's um that's often what it is from neil he's he's also just like a, a scout guy he sees guys and and kind of says that's my dude there's always sort of a moment with with him that when he's when particularly with first round picks where he goes and scouts them in person and says okay this guy can really bring it he basically has a story about every player he's drafted in that way um i would just assume that caleb swanigan in terms of need he probably graded out more and the, maybe the Blazers saw Kuzma as a score only forward and they didn't need in theory didn't need a guy who 
only scored. But boy, howdy, could they use one of those now? Next question comes from Hamilton from Gmail, who says, give me a trade idea using Nurk, Zach, Simons, and one to two first rounders to get a superstar. Here's the thing. I don't think I can, Hamilton. I don't think the combination of Yusuf Nurkic, Zach Collins, and Anthony Simons plus a couple first-rounders nets you a quote-unquote superstar. The least step one why it doesn't net you a superstar is because it just isn't enough money. And the second wrinkle here is it depends on what you define by superstar. Um, I just don't think there's many of those in the league. Like, I guess where I'm drawing the distinction is, like, is Bradley Beal a superstar? I'm going to say no. I don't think Bradley Beal in his own changes the direction of the franchise. He's a very, very, very good player. Like, is Trey Young a superstar? I'm going to say no. So maybe I'm drawing too, too fine a line. But in any case, you asked for a trade with those assets. Let me bring you one. How about Karis LeVert? Jared Allen for Yusuf Nurkic, Zach Collins, Anthony Simons, and throw out the draft picks. Just a straight swap of players. Are you into that trade? Yeah, it sounds whack, doesn't it? That doesn't really improve the Blazers very much, but I think that's about their trade value. I don't think other teams value Anthony Simons and Zach Collins the way the Blazers do. I think they're particularly... The Blazers are enamored with those that pairing more so than any other teams are, and just I just... Gave that trade to you to illustrate what I believe is a reasonable expectation. You're not getting a superstar. You're getting a Karis LeVert. Okay, this next question comes from Skozers, who says, D'Antoni, this is Mike D'Antoni, would be an amazing fit for Damon CJ if Olshay is completely set on never trading CJ. Prove me wrong. Yeah, like Mike D'Antoni, I think he's a fantastic coach. Um, you know, he, he helped reshape the league and helped reshape how people think about basketball over the last two decades. Here's how I'll change your mind. The knock on Mike D'Antoni is that he just figures out what his team does best, builds them to do that thing best, and then never adjusts. Does that sound like it would work for the Blazers' specific problem? To, you get to the playoffs. The teams double-team and give show Dame hard hedges and double-team the hell out of him, way beyond the, you know, 30 feet from the rim. And what does Mike D'Antoni do? He does the same damn thing over and over again, insisting that it will work. He is incredibly stubborn. He, his philosophy is kind of do the thing you're best at every single time down the court. His philosophy is not figure out 37 counters to what the team is doing. It's just not who D'Antoni's been in any stop. He's been stubborn about what he wants to do and how he wants to do it. He's a great coach. I think he could lift the Blazers in the regular season a great deal, but I don't think he's pushing them over the top because I think his, his trait, his flaw as a coach, is in many ways limited by his talent. Now, that might be every single coach. Every single coach's ceiling is limited by the players. I've joked before that the only thing coaches do once the game starts is decide who plays and when. But I don't, while I really love D'Antoni, really like him, I don't think that he, um, I don't think that the thing that the Blazers are missing is this sort of creative offensive mind to figure out how to get their two guards to play together really well. I don't like, I think they sort of already do that. And that the thing that they're missing is um, one of the great in-game adjusters. So um, my sort of hot name to hire, Eric Spolstra. Speaking of Eric Spolstra, Tam Terrius the Greek asks, how about Derek Jones Jr. in Portland? Uh, Derek Jones Jr. plays for Eric Spolstra's Miami Heat right now. He'll be a free agent this year. Um, not sure how much money he's going to command in the open market, um, but I like Derek Jones Jr. Um, versatile wing defender, can guard threes and fours. He's probably more of a four than a three because he's not a great shooter, but really good athlete, really long, flies around, plays hard. Love Derek Jones Jr. And I think he'd be a, a excellent fit for the Blazers. 
Tam Terry's the Greek asks another question here. He says that that's at Tam the Greek on Twitter. Excuse me. Tam asks, being a mid-range floater savant, could we see some post-ups from CJ next season? Yeah. Hmm. Only got one answer for that. Post-ups are generally inefficient just because you are engaging the defender and then trying to use your strength to get it over and around him. CJ is not an over type of guy. He already takes a bevy of really difficult shots. Why would we add more difficult shots to the repertoire? That's a that's a heavy Bishop Bullwinkle hell nah. Heavily hell nah for CJ post-ups. Next question comes from Justin Oslin at Justin Oslin7 on Twitter who asks, Trade. Justin, my, uh, if you're a new listener, Justin does not ask questions. Justin Justin throws trades at me like a trade machine, which I guess is better than the here's some names, go ahead and trade them. Justin gives me specifics and says go, but Justin doesn't ask questions. Justin makes up trades. Here's Justin's made-up trade for today. I feel Houston is going to shake things up. Ariza Collins and two firsts for Rocco and P.J. Tucker, that's Robert Covington and P.J. Tucker, gives Houston a stopgap in Ariza if they still want to compete, gives them a young big guy and multiple picks if they want to flip that for a better player. Thoughts? Yeah, um, I, I kind of think two firsts and those and Collins is, is a little much for what Robert Covington and aging P.J. Tucker give you, but boy, howdy. Robert Covington is the exact player the Blazers need, a versatile, long d- defender who can guard four spots on the court, and P.J. Tucker might be my favorite player in the NBA. Raleigh, North Carolina's own, graduate of Enlo High School in Raleigh, the same high school that gave us Nate McMillan. The shoe and pancake enthusiast... The Tuck Wagon, a six foot six player who plays center with his seven foot wingspan and 250 pound frame. I love PJ Tucker. I love him. So, sure, sure. I mean, I don't love, I don't, I love this. I don't love, love, love this trade. Um, I, but I think, I think Ariza Collins, two first that gives you a guy as good as Robert Covington and a player I enjoy as much as PJ Tucker. I got to say yes. I got to smash yes on that. Let's do it. Bring PJ to Portland. Next question comes from CJ at Friggin' Winden on Twitter who says, Hearing your pause last week, I had an epiphany. Did you really? That is amazing. That is a good feeling. Thank you, CJ. CJ continues, Blazers can improve on defense, maintain offensive integrity, and become title contenders, but blinders must be removed to see it. This is the headiest intro to a question we've had. Oh, remove those blinders. CJ continues, Trade Dame for Giannis. CJ can play point guard. I get it makes no emotional sense, but does it make logical sense? You know what? Yeah, yes, yes, it makes logical sense. I think it's an upgrade to the Blazers roster to replace Damian Lillard with Giannis Antetokounmpo, if you get that trade straight up. But here's why it doesn't actually make any sense. One, Damian Lillard is the franchise. He is the franchise. You, they, he, There is no one more synonymous with a franchise in the NBA then Damian Lillard is with the Portland Trailblazers. So what you're doing is you're just you're burning it to the ground. And I understand that's what you want to do. But beyond just sort of the emotional attachment to Dame, I think the I think the message it sends to trade Damian Lillard locked in until 2024 for a rental of Giannis Antetokounmpo is 
we quit on this dude. And if you, that, for me, that is a dangerous precedent for a team like the Blazers to set. I am all in favor of them taking a big swing. And I kind of like this trade. Like, I, I'm, I'm really into it because I think you've really stepped outside the box where no one else is willing to go. And for that, I applaud you, CJ. But there's a way of doing business in the league. And I think getting rid of your franchise player who you've you know, you have committed to you for what will end up being 15 years in exchange for a a shot at it with a with a one year rental. It's just it's it just feels wrong to me. It feels wrong to me. I don't I don't I can't quite put my finger on it, but I don't I maybe I maybe I can't take the blinders off, CJ. Maybe you're right. Next question comes from Ian Armstrong. That's strong comedy on Twitter. Ian asks. You're a Tardials fan, so I gotta ask you, as a fan, is getting a championship as awesome as we fans build it up to be? How long do you live on the high of winning, and how soon afterwards do you just start thinking about getting the next one? So yeah, the uh, University of North Carolina Tardials have won national championships in 2005, 2009, and 2017. But the thing I remember the most is in 2016 when they didn't win the championship. Chris Jenkins of Villanova hit a three at the buzzer to give Villanova the championship and a Carolina team that I truly loved, truly emotionally connected with and loved lost. And that is the feeling that sticks with me because I believe my theory of fandom is that winning is fleeting. You, you win and you want to win more and it's fleeting. It doesn't stick with you. What sticks with you is the pain and suffering of losses that Kobe to Shaq alley-oop sticks with you. Now, I don't exactly think it's apples to apples. Uh, the NCAA tournament is a single elimination tournament. Uh, the seeding, the way it works out for a team, a blue blood like Carolina, is they often have pretty easy games the first weekend. So you're talking about winning four games over next two weekends to win a national title. Obviously, there's a long road to get there, but you can lose a bunch of games during the regular season, or at least you can lose some. You don't have to lose your, you don't have to win your conference tournament. But in any case, it's a single elimination tournament. There's a lot of random stuff. Teams get knocked out, so your your road can get just naturally easier by just single elimination freak stuff that happens in the NCAA tournament. NBA is not like that. Can't fake the funk. Talent wins. You know, seven game series, all four rounds. Uh, you, if you aren't good, you're going home. You are you're going to have to be the better team. Occasionally, matchups play enough of a difference that you just match up really well with the team and you can beat them four out of seven times. But mostly, talent wins. Uh, the NBA it's much harder to win an NBA title than it is to win an NCAA title. So I don't think it's apples to apples. But I will say that my theory of fandom is that suffering lasts and winning doesn't. Well, that seems like as as a appropriate time to go to the next segment as any. Shall we? Let's hit up the third segment, close out the show with more of your questions. Still a pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. Still listen to Lockdown Blazers, and we're still cruising through Mailbag Monday. Shout out to my man, Dre Slaps, for giving us the music that we play at the beginning and through these episode through these segment bumps appreciate you dre you can check out his music at dreslaps.com or follow him on instagram at wow slaps respect the vibes okay next question comes from logan gillis at logan gillis on twitter who says wenyan and nas who contributes more to the blazers next season is wenyan back i guess and who ends up having the better nba career 
So very hilariously, some sometimes this happens is that people will ask me these questions and then someone else who like I don't follow and don't know on Twitter will respond and answer to the question and they will answer with my exact opposite opinion. So someone responded to Logan's tweet and they said, Wenyan, just one word, Wenyan. And I got to say, I don't necessarily anticipate that Wenyan Gabriel will be back on the team next season. In fact, when I'm penciling it out, I think the Blazers end up letting Wenyan go. Um, he's he's not, you know, it's a small money contract, $2 million, basically. Uh, it doesn't open up this sort of new world of cap space, but I don't, I, I think they're going to go try to use those roster spots for like veterans who can contribute would be my guess. Um, and not sort of like a, a developmental forward. In fact, I think the developmental forward that they've already committed to is Nasir Little. And one of the reasons is like, the Blazers, like in general, if you're just like kind of following Neil's moves, the dude he gives money to first is usually the dude he rolls with. He, he trusts his gut and trusts his decision making. I'm going to say Nazir Little all the way around. I think he has a slightly better career than Wenyan Gabriel. I think he's a much bigger contributor to the Blazers because he's on the roster and Wenyan isn't. Next question comes from Andy Patton at Andy Patton, S-E-A. That's the abbreviation for Seattle. So Andy Patton, C, maybe, on Twitter, who asks, is Carmelo Anthony the most fun free agent in Blazers history? If not, who is? Yeah, for me, it's Carmelo. Um, I just don't think the Blazers have ever had a player of his stature. And his if he were to decide to come back and they were to bring him back, it says a lot about sort of where the franchise is in terms of making Hall of Famer types feel welcomed. Um, you know, signing a guy at 36 years old is not the same as signing a guy at 26 years old. This doesn't make the Blazers the destination, but there is some real positive optics of signing a guy as famous and with a resume like Carmelo Anthony back. So, yeah, I think this is, assuming they sign him back, this is the most fun free agent. If he leaves, I don't know if he... Um, I don't know if he qualifies as most fun free agent signing because he wouldn't have signed, right? Okay, next question comes from Tanner Russ, at Tanner Russ 7 on Twitter, who says, if you were to compare the Blazers to a historical empire, kingdom, or nation state, which would be the most appropriate? So I was a history major in college, um, mostly studied post-Civil War U.S. history. But uh, if I were going nation state, I'm going to go with the Portuguese empire. Quick caveat, all empires are evil. Um, conquering people is not your right. Certainly um, not something that should be celebrated. And looking at we, the way we look at empires is that they did, they did great by taking over um, other nations and other um, areas. So uh, with that caveat aside, I'll just run with the analogy that it's the Portuguese empire because they are sort of, they were a powerful empire, you know, controlled Brazil, controlled maybe all of the Western Hemisphere for a brief period, uh, were one of the most powerful, they're one of the most powerful empires in the world, and then they united with Spain, made the sort of Iberian compact, and kind of got lost to, lost to history. You don't think of this as like a giant world power, and that's kind of view the, how I view the Blazers. They've been really good pretty much every, not really good, but they've been competitive pretty much every year of their existence. You know, they've made the playoffs something like 75% of their seasons, just in, just they've always been successful, but they're not really thought of as one of these legacy franchises. They're not England, France, or Spain. They're poor little Portugal who doesn't get celebrated for being terrible world conquerors. Love the question, death to tyrants. Tamterius the Greek gives us our next question and asks, Bukowski or Hemingway? We've really got to the part of the podcast and the part of the offseason where I'm using my liberal arts degree. I've never been a big Hemingway guy. Uh, I think I relate more to 
Bukowski's sort of view of the world as as more wretched and not as um, this like celebration of drunken masculinity, which I kind of view Hemingway's writing as. So yeah, that's this isn't that podcast, but that's my answer, Bukowski over over Hemingway. Next question comes from Adam Nakamura at Adam. Can you build a starting squad using only players past or current that are known for one big shot or one big moment and mainly nothing else? Example, Mario Zonia blocking LeBron to win the game. Is that is that really what Mario Zonia is known for? That's a bummer. Okay, here's my squad. At point guard, Ty Lue, who's done a lot of stuff, but I feel like he's most famous for getting stepped over by Allen Iverson in game one of the 2001 NBA Finals. At one wing, we got Craig Elo, famous for MJ hitting that shot over him and that's about it. Whoops, I, I read my list out of order. Craig Elo's playing the three. We're, at the other guard, we're going a little bit small with Sunday out of gains. Uh, you may remember Sunday out of gains from being an NBA player, but if you know anything about him, you know that he hit an insane game-winning three to beat the LeBron to beat LeBron and the Cavs t- 10 years ago, January 2010. That's what my notes say. But I remember it really well because it was a national TV game and it was the late game. They were playing in Salt Lake City and it was it was a young LeBron, like LeBron at his close to his physical peak. And Sunday out of games, this like random 6-1 guard who was on maybe a 10-day contract, a very short deal, hit a game winner to beat the Cavs. Um, just sort of like one of those random games that will always stick with me. So Sunday out of games and Ty Lue are two guards with Craig Elo, who I read out of order at the three. At the four, this is maybe controversial because I think it was really good, um, and most people maybe remember other things, but I'm going to say Ron Artest, known mostly for the Mouse of the Palace. This might be... Our test might be unfair to people who follow the league as closely as you, dear listeners, do, but I think he kind of fits like the known-for-one-thing type of team. So he's our four. At five, I'm going Frederick Weiss. Yeah, the guy Vince Carter dunked over in the Olympics. Uh, You can't have sort of like a singular random moment guy and not include Weiss. Uh, Honorable mention, Timofey Mozgov got crammed on really badly by Blake Griffin actually an NBA player. So if they have to be NBA, Weiss, I think, played in summer league and then didn't join the Knicks. He was a, he was a Knicks draft pick. But if, so it has to be an NBA player, we'll go Mozgov. It, it even like became a verb getting Mozgoved. But uh, if, if, if I can have my choice, I'm going to go with my boy, Freddie Weiss. Wait, you asked me to do six man. Okay. Mozgov starts at center and Weiss is my six man. That's your answer, Adam. Thanks for the question. This was a fun little exercise. Last question of the show comes from Ben from Gmail who says, could you please explain the Blazers cap space going into the 2020 free agency period, whenever that will be? And give me your thoughts on the following players if you think the Blazers could sign them and further if you think each dude would be a good pickup for the Blazers. Thanks. So um, on an earlier podcast episode this week, if you were listening back to our podcast, ra- team wrap-ups that we're doing. I misexplained the salary cap, so I'm glad I'm getting an opportunity to correct my wrongs here. Uh, the Blazers are, they basically have 114, if if they don't bring back Wenyan Gabriel, they have about $112 million committed. The salary cap is projected to be as high as 115, but it might be, it might not end up that high. It could end up about the same as it is this year, 109. So if you assume that it doesn't rise all the way to the reported 115 factor, the Blazers are very likely to be over the salary cap. So they will not have any salary cap space, which leaves them with just a couple ways to sign players. They'll have three, three avenues. 
They can use the non-taxpayer mid-level exception. They're not going to be a tax team heading into free agency. They're very likely to be above the salary cap line. Uh, we don't know exactly where that's going to be just yet. The other thing they'll have is the biannual exception. So the, the non-taxpayer mid-level exception is about $9 million. bucks. Um, that's like the most you can aver- offer for an annual salary. Um, it'll change with the, according to the salary cap. So that could it could be a little bit less than nine. It's not going to be higher than like nine and a half, which I think it was this season. So around nine million bucks. The biannual exception this year was three and a half million dollars. And that will is also tied to the cap. So it'll go down, you say about three million bucks. And then they'll be able to sign players to minimum salaries. You can go over the, t- the cap and sign minimum players. That's how it works. The only other avenue they have is they can sign, they have Whiteside's bird rights is on Whiteside's bird rights, so they can go over the cap to sign him. I don't think they'll do that, and I wouldn't recommend they do that, but they certainly could. And just for clarity, uh, when Gabriel will be a strict free agent, so the Blazers will have, they'll be able to match any offer sheet he would get from a team and retain him automatically if they wish, go over the salary cap to do so. Uh, the Blazers do not have full bird rights on Carmelo Anthony, so they can only offer him, I believe, 120% of his 2019-2020 salary. So basically, they can just offer him, you know, a little bit more than the minimum, or they can use those biannual or mid-level exceptions to sign him. So the list of players you gave me, DeMar DeRozan, don't think they have enough money to sign DeMar DeRozan. I don't think nine million bucks a year is going to get it done. Really like DeMar, would be a fun six-man type for the Blazers or a starting wing, but not going to happen. Christian Wood, my favorite potential acquisition. Move back, move Zach to backup center, please. Yeah, I love Christian Wood. I think he's really good. Detroit Pistons, stretchy 4-5 type. Um, I, I think he's a baller, um, but I don't, again, I think Christian Wood's market it would be interesting what his market is, but I think he'll be a little bit above. Um, I think the I think the Pistons will re- retain him, and I don't think the Blazers have quite enough money with the mid-level exception to get it done. But maybe, maybe $9 bucks a year for Christian Wood gets it done. Nick Batum, not going to happen. Neil's not signing him back. Sorry. Rondy Hollis-Jefferson. This is a name I've mentioned. I think that sort of 4 to $7 million range, uh, maybe even a little bit less for Rondy Hollis-Jefferson can work. He can't shoot. He's kind of an undersized athletic five, um, but he can conceivably play three and four. I mean, he's really like a power forward or a five. Um, I like him. Uh, he can't shoot, so he's really limited. He'd have to come off the bench, play in creative minutes with him, but I like him as a, as a cheap option. Torrey Craig, uh, yeah, I, I think Torrey Craig's okay. I think his, his perimeter defense might be a little overrated, but he's tough and he's a better defender than the Blazers have than a lot of the players the Blazers have in the roster right now. So yeah, he's a good option as a 3-4 type. Wes Awundu, a wing for the uh, Orlando Magic. He's going to come cheap. Um, I like that option. That's creative thinking outside the box. Don't think he moves the needle too much, but in terms of that sort of 15th man on on team, I like Wes Awundu. There's been moments when I've been watching the, the uh, Magic on League Pass and he's my number one. Like, wait, who is that? Whoa. Um, he doesn't have a lot of those minutes, but he has some of them. And then David Nwaba, who I believe is a free agent who last played for the Brooklyn Nets, but he he uh, he ruptured his Achilles. So he's coming off an Achilles injury. I don't think you want to have two dudes on the roster coming off Achilles injuries. I think it's a little too risky. I really liked David Nwaba as a high-energy wing. He's a little small, but high-energy wing prior to the injury. But with the injury, I don't love it so much. So... That's what the Blazers are looking like. They're not going to, they're probably over the salary cap with some limited options. And I guess maybe I only said yes to Ronnie Ellis Jefferson and sort of to Tory Craig. I, I got it. I'm going to have to narrow down my list. So when you all ask me in the future, I can give you specifics. Thanks for encouraging me to be specific, Ben. I appreciate it. One more question to close out the show. This one comes from Jack 
loyal Blazers pod listener at Jack Parshall on Twitter who asks, how you doing? How you coping with social unrest, pandemic, and smoke again? Sometimes you you just got to check on your people. Thanks, Jack. Um, like many of us in the Portland area, this has been tough last couple days, but all things considered, I'm doing fine. There are plenty of other people who have more difficult situations than I do, so I really appreciate you reaching out to me, and I appreciate that sentiment. So let's all try to take Jack's sentiment out into the world. Reach out to the people you care about and maybe some of those you haven't connected with recently and make sure they're doing okay because life's tough right now. There are a lot of different layers to it. That's going to do it for today's show. If you want to get involved in Mailbag Monday, just tweet at me at Mike G. Rich or email the show, lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com. We're doing, we do Mailbag Monday each week and we're rolling out over the next couple of weeks these season wrap-ups or player capsules for every player on the roster. We've already done five. Check back in your podcast feed for those first five. You can share those with their friends. They're evergreen. They kind of set the stage for what the players did last year and what you can expect from them in the future. We have more of those coming this week and next week. Always got Mailbag Monday coming each Monday night usually posting on Tuesdays. Tell your friends about this podcast. They can get it wherever they already listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon.